In Paul's letter to the church at Philippi in chapter 2 and verse 12, we read, continue to work out your salvation. It doesn't say work so that you can be saved. It says continue to work out your salvation. Salvation has occurred. We now work out that salvation in how we live our lives. Work out. In the Amplified Bible, it adds cultivate. Cultivate it. Cultivate your salvation. Bring it to full effect. Like a farmer cultivates the soil for seed to bring full life, we are to cultivate our lives to bring forth the kingdom of God in us who have been redeemed as a result of the salvation Jesus has blessed us with. To help us get all on the same page this morning, I want you to, I need your help. I need your help big time. Um, to sing a very familiar hymn. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Okay, that's the beginning. That's huge. It's the night sky that lets us see the Milky Way and stars that are so far away. Some of them could have burned out and exploded hundreds of thousands of years ago, but the light is still coming to us. It's that far away, even though light travels at 186 plus thousand miles per second. It's amazing. There are stars out there so big, that they couldn't pass between the earth and the sun because it would wipe them both out. That's how large some of them are. It's grand. It's splendiferous. It's amazing. We now step into the universe, out of the universe and into our world. When through the woods and forest glades I wander, And hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, And hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. Now these two verses together describe part of what was said last Sunday. God self-reveals in a very general way to all people in all cultures and for all time. But there's more. Help me as we continue to sing. And when I think that God his Son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Aha! That's what he has done. That's accomplished. It's completed. There's historical record to help us recognize that it's taken place, not just in the scripture, but in general secular history as well. This is what Christ has done. Help me, we go one more as we sing about what he will do. 
when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art all right good This is great thus far. These two verses describe the other part of what was said last Sunday, that God not only self-reveals in general to all people in all time and all culture, he also reveals himself in specific ways. And two of those very specific and special ways are the Bible, the, the book where God points out his will and his ways for living our life. And most profoundly, a special way in the giving of his son, Jesus the Christ, who makes it possible for us people to have a living and vital relationship with him and a really living and vital relationship with each other. But there's more. There's always more. As a result of knowing both God's general and special self-revelation, there's a response There's a response for us who are blessed to know the general revelation and the specific and special revelation. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, How great thou art, how great thou art. That's the whole story. Now, if you want to go to sleep for the rest of the morning, you can do that, but there's a little more still coming. But it is, after all, the day of rest for many people. Some of you take it seriously, and I've enjoyed watching that over the years. We Christians are the stewards, are the stewards, even more the ambassadors of God's self-revelation. When we talk about stewardship, it's not just about money and stuff. It's about what God has given to us in general and specifically. We are the stewards of that. We've been given the responsibility to become the ambassadors of that. We are blessed here at Bethany Covenant Church with a relatively new vision statement that comes out of this understanding of our life. And last Sunday, we looked at the first line of Bethany Covenant Church's vision statement, inviting people to know God, generally maybe to start with, specifically when it comes to Jesus the Christ and the scriptures that reveal God's will and God's ways for us. God wants to be known, and throughout the Bible, God asks the people who know him to make him known. We are called to be invitational, inviting. We don't take the Bible and beat people. We don't take the cross and assault people. We tell them what God has done in Christ, and we show them God's way by how we live our lives. We be invitational people. 
The second line of our Bethany Covenant Church vision statement takes us to the next level of our relationship with God. We are not only inviting people to know God, we are also inspiring people to follow Jesus. To know God is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to know God. But there's more that God and Jesus want. The call of God is the call from Jesus to follow him. Let me give you just a smattering of a few scriptures. Jesus calls his first disciples. In Matthew 4.19, he called out to Peter and Andrew, Come, follow me. In Mark 2.14, as he walked along, Jesus saw the son of Levi, Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. His name was Matthew. He gives us the first gospel. In that gospel, he is trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised. Why is he doing that? Why does that matter to him so much? Because he was an outcast from his Jewish brothers and sisters. He had become an agent of Rome, collecting taxes. Tax collectors have never been popular. He the least of all. And so for him to see the Messiah had come in Jesus the Christ and ask him of all people to follow matters. And that's what happens in the gospel. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him in Mark 2. In John 1.43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, come, follow me. So his first disciples heard this word, follow me. Jesus called others to follow him. An unnamed man in the crowd in Matthew chapter 8, verse 22, Jesus told him, follow me now. A young, rich ruler in Mark 10, 21, we read, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus describes the advantages of following him. In John 8, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. In John 12, verse 26, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Jesus describes what it means to follow him in Luke 9. Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That verse has been so misrepresented over the years. Taking up the cross. I bear the cross of Christ. What does that mean? So often I have heard as a pastor in Bible studies over 45 years plus in ministry, people talk about the burden of the cross. I'm sorry. That's incorrect. The cross was the will of God for his son, Jesus the Christ. He asks us to take up our cross. It may not be a cross. It's symbolic of God's will for our life. Take up God's will for our life. The rest of this sermon wants to look at some of what God's will is for us who claim to be Christian, which 
by very definition means we are followers of Jesus. So let me give this application about the scripture. Study it. Pretty clear. Because in it, God reveals himself and his son, Jesus, most particularly. And when we know him, we know God in his fullness. Joshua 1.8, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Do life God's way, which he reveals in the book. That's what he calls us to do. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman who rightly handles the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, one of my favorite sections in the whole Bible. All scripture is God-breathed. There's life in the breath of God. He made life come out of the dirt that he formed. He made life come to the bones in the valley of Ezekiel. He made life come into those who followed him by breathing on them the Holy Spirit who gives us power to live his way. All scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, that is correcting. Excuse me, that is telling you what's wrong. Correcting, that's telling you what's right. And training in righteousness, which is God's way. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're made to do good works. Good works don't save us. Good works don't redeem us. God doesn't look down and say, well, you're pretty good. You're okay. I'll let you in. Good works validate that we've received the gift of salvation from God. It gives us the ability to be able to say to someone else, follow me as I follow him. You'll hear that again in a few moments. About the scripture, not only study it, about the scripture, do it. Because that's what God's son Jesus does. And if we follow him, we do what he did. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I've had people in churches that I've served that I love dearly, and they'd love to study the scripture. But one of the men comes to my mind most profoundly, and my heart is so broken over him because he knows it so well, and he is the angriest man I have ever met in my life. He's not let it in. He's neither let it into his mind to control the emotion that gets away from him or into his heart that fills him with a passion rather than an anger. It's so sad. We are to do the word. When it comes to following Jesus, what do we do about sin? Confess yours. By the way, this gets lost so often. We hear about confession, but it doesn't include repentance and making restitution. I could confess. This morning as I was driving here, the traffic was a little odd. I was on the Wilbercross Parkway. Here's the confession. I was doing 70 miles an hour. Now, I excused myself because I was being passed by everybody that was near me. 
I justify my error by the gross errors of those around me, whom I have also judged, which is also something Jesus said, don't do that. No, as such, you shall incur the stricter judgment. So I was looking for cops all the way. (laughs) See how we play with this? At least I do. Maybe I'm the only one that does that. No, I've seen some of you drive. (laughs) It's amazing how this works. But if I'm going to confess it 70 miles an hour, I need to repent of it and turn back to 55. That's the speed limit on the Wilbur Cross. I have not seen anyone for a long time do that, myself included. Speak to me, Craig. But not only repent of it, as I confess it, but make restitution. You, have you, when was the last time you heard someone preach on the subject of restitution? You've taken someone from someone. You've used it, you've abused it, you've broken it. You either fix it or get them another one. That's restitution. Some things you can't make restitution for. Emotional damage. Physical damage in someone's life. You can't make restitution for that, but you can do something to be helpful. What are we to do as followers of Christ about sin in our life? We're to confess it, we're to repent of it, turn away and turn toward what is right, and we're to make restitution where we have wronged. This is in the 12-step program, which is a very Christian program, by the way, which is good for all counseling in almost every subject. We are to make restitution in the 12-step program so that people will know it really mattered what we did that we've confessed and repented of in relationship to them. James 5, confess your sins to each other, oh boy, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's not talking about a righteous person that prays for you when you confess. That refers to you and me when we confess, become right with God. And that's when our prayers become powerful to make a difference. Acts 2.38, Peter replied at the end of his sermon on the day of Pentecost, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Turn away from your sin, turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He's the only one that can do that. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole load of Christianity in one verse. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he, he is faithful and he is just. And he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. When it comes to following Jesus, what else should we do about sin? Forgive others. No exceptions. That may be hard for me on something that's happened in my life. It doesn't give that out in the Bible. Jesus, as he was hanging from the cross with his arms outstretched, the pressure on his chest was enormous. The pain in his wrists and in his feet were awful. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What an example for us. Is it easy to do that? It is not. 
But is there an excuse to not do that? There is not. As a follower of Jesus, to follow him. What do we do about sin in others towards us? We forgive. That's what we do. When it comes to following Jesus, what else do we do about sin? We forgive others. Be kind to each other in Ephesians 4. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Colossians 3, 13. Make allowance for each other's faults. I make so many allowances for mine. You guys I don't know about. How often is that the case in our lives? We excuse ourselves, but we don't excuse others. If we're going to follow Jesus... We are to forgive, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This is not Craig making this stuff up. This is in our holy book. These are the words of the first followers of Jesus, and in many cases, the words of Jesus himself. When it comes to following Jesus, what do you do about your enemies? You love them. Jesus says this. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. I am deeply concerned about leadership in our country. Deeply concerned at every level. I am more deeply concerned about the Christian church that has joined the language and the attitude that the leadership of our country seems to be expressing. You know what our role with the President of the United States is? To pray for him. Whether you like him or not, whether you agree with his politics or not, whether you understand or can comprehend his character or not, our role is to pray for those in leadership. The same is true of those in Congress, Senate and House. The same is true for those in our towns. The same is true for the Supreme Court. Our role as Christians is, yes, participate in the process we are blessed to have in this country. And when we can vote, vote. And vote what you believe is right for you and your understanding as a follower of Jesus. But it's then to pray for those who are elected, even if they were the wrong party for you. Even more in those times, we're to pray. To follow Jesus means to pray that his will will be done, that he will break through in things that we don't understand or don't agree with, and that he will break through in us to be the people of prayer for those who lead. When it comes to following Jesus, what do we do about getting even or vengeance? What do we do? Don't. That's what we do. We don't. We don't get even. Besides, it's kind of a false notion to think that when someone wrongs someone, that someone's going to get even with them. They're not going to get even. If someone wrongs you a certain way, you amp it up a little bit and wrong them a little bit more so they can feel it. You know how it works, and then it, gets, it just elevates. 
Just this last Thursday night, at the end of a football game, things got a little out of hand. And what became a little shoving match and shouting match in a pile became ripping a helmet off. If that wasn't enough, I'm going to bash you over your head, which doesn't have the helmet because I have it now, so that you feel the pain. It was out of control. They've both recognized that. But that's how it works in life. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to not get even. Do not take revenge in Romans 12, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. If anyone knows how to make it right, God knows. Why don't we leave that in God's hands? He says to do that. As followers of Jesus, that's where it's to be. This may be a radical change in many of our lives as we think about how we deal with the struggles that come our way. When it comes to following Jesus, know this. The Holy Spirit will produce in you the character traits of Jesus himself. Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You ever want to be an inspiration? It's the Holy Spirit's traits of Jesus Christ in our lives that will inspire people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When it comes to following Jesus, we are to be an example. We're to be like him. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul writes, and this is just outrageous, but it is so true. You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Have you ever thought of saying that to someone? Maybe right now is the first time. I thought of it earlier this week as I was preparing this message. To say to someone, just imitate me, follow me as I imitate and follow Jesus. I want to be at that point. I'm not perfect. So unlike Jesus, there'll be times I need to say, whoa, I messed up here. Don't follow me there. But to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. There is great inspiration in living the good news. That's why it's called the gospel good news. And that inspiration will help us help other people to follow Jesus. Because let's face it, they will follow us. If we're a leader at all, they'll follow us. Our children follow us. The children we teach follow us. The grandchildren follow us. They imitate us in all of our foibles and all of our grace. They follow because they see. Jesus said, to his earliest disciples, you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, my examples, Acts 1.8. May we receive the power of his spirit to be his witnesses, his ambassadors, inviting people to know God and inspiring people to follow Jesus. These two statements describe two of our primary stewardship responsibilities as Christians. May they become what is best known about us, the people at Bethany Covenant Church 
that were invitational and that were inspiring so that people will know and they too will choose to follow Jesus the Christ. Pray with me. Holy Father, pour out your spirit in our lives so that we can be inspirational for those around us to become followers of Jesus. We believe that is your call for us. That is truly our mission in life. May our lives display it for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of all those who are lost and need to be found and for the sake of all those who are hurting and need to be healed. Father, do great things. We give you ourselves to be your ambassadors of your love. Amen.